My name is Greg Kodrowski, and this is my podcast, Theology 101. I like to study the Bible, and I don't think the Bible is really that difficult to understand. For the most part, it's really pretty simple, and simple is better. So if you're like me, and you want to know more about the Bible, or if you just want to hear more about the Bible, stick around. And if you want to know more about me or check out my pedigree, Google me, or visit my website, theology101.net. We are talking about discipleship, and we have begun to talk about what the Bible says a disciple looks like. The Bible doesn't mention discipleship or discipling, but it does mention disciples. And we started in our last podcast to take a look at what a disciple was in Scripture. We had a lot of things to say about context. That's going to be very, very important as we look at discipleship, because Paul never mentions discipleship. He never calls Christians disciples in his epistles. So we need to learn about what a disciple is in its context. We looked at three things, remember, three things to help us define what a disciple is in the Bible in context. First, the transition. Some of the terms and concepts of discipleship, they evolved through Jesus' ministry. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, he started with a known concept of discipleship. John the Baptist had had disciples. Um, Pharisees had disciples. We're going to see that that all the Jews considered themselves Moses' disciples. Even the Romans had some some forms of discipleship that they were practicing at that time. So Jesus, he started with, with this concept of discipleship that was already known, it was already in practice, and he began to change it, and then throughout his ministry he changed it to what he wanted. That helps us to understand where we go to look for the finished product of what Jesus' form of discipleship looks like. And we have to go to the end of his ministry, not the beginning. The end of his ministry being toward the end of the Gospels, and especially in the book of Acts. And We also saw that we need to look at the book of Acts because of a dispensational change in Acts chapter 2. Before Acts chapter 2, Jesus Christ is physically present among his disciples. After Acts chapter 2, we see that Jesus Christ is no longer physically present, he's spiritually present in all of his disciples. So discipleship today is going to look a lot different than discipleship during the ministry of Jesus Christ. We are disciples of Christ. We cannot see him. We are not disciples of men, our pastors or the leaders in our churches, the the people that help us to understand the Bible or our friends in Christ. We are not their disciples. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. We ultimately follow Christ, and we're disciples of Christ. So that that brought up the, the, the third thing that we wanted to talk about. First, that transition in the concept of discipleship we see take place in Christ's earthly ministry. We see this dispensational change that Christ is no longer physically present on the earth among his disciples for us to look at and touch and follow and imitate or, 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 or do as he did, if you, if you don't like that word, imitate. But also, we touched on the, the aspect of the twelve. Now, I don't know if that was something new that you that, that you'd never thought about before, but using the twelve and Jesus' ministry to the twelve as a model for discipleship is at best problematic. Okay, first, Jesus is not here among us today. 
We can't follow him like the 12 followed him. And, and secondly, the vast majority of Jesus' disciples during his earthly ministry, they didn't follow him around personally, full-time, like the 12 did. That was not the norm for the vast majority of disciples then. And it's certainly not the norm for any disciple today. Because nobody follows Jesus Christ physically like the 12 followed him physically. And so the model that we see in the 12 is the same model we see in Paul's missionary team. That Jesus worked with a group of men that he was developing into leaders to take over the ministry in his absence. Paul, in his missionary journeys, always had a missionary team. People like Luke and Titus and Timothy. These were men he was training to be leaders in his absence. He left, he left Timothy in, in Ephesus as the senior pastor of that church, and he left Titus in, in Crete to, to establish uh, local leadership in various churches in the area. And so we see that the, the model of the Twelve, or the model of Paul's missionary group, is more a model and, a, and an example, a pattern for us, of what we would call leadership development. Discipleship is much more broad and inclusive than this focused personal work in future leaders. With that in mind, this, this transition that took place in discipleship in the, in, during the ministry of Jesus Christ, and, and this, this change, this, this dispensational change that Christ is no longer physically present on earth to make disciples, so we follow him in a spiritual or figurative sense, mostly through the Bible, and this, this, this idea that, hey, we need to be careful, saying that the ministry to the Twelve is a model of discipleship. It's not. It's leadership development. Discipleship is much more broad. Well, now we can go into the Bible, and following these, these, these three helps, we can go toward the end of Jesus' ministry, look at the finished product of discipleship, and ask ourselves, okay, what does a disciple look like? In the book of Acts, during the formation of the church— during the church age, what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is a Christian. We saw that in Acts chapter 11, 26, that the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. We saw that in Acts chapter 14, that when Paul goes out and preaches the gospel, the result is disciples. You preach the gospel, you make disciples. And so a disciple is just a sinner who's repented from sin believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and been regenerated by the Spirit of God. You say, well, well, that just means he's a believer. Yeah. Yeah. A disciple is a Christian. A Christian is a disciple. And so discipleship is the normal Christian life. It's the norm that God expects and wants for all of us. And so it's, it's far more than just a set of lessons that you would go through with another believer in a church activity. Discipleship is much more than finishing some course of academic study and getting a certificate and saying, hey, look, I finished discipleship. No, discipleship, Luke, uh, Luke, yeah, Luke 640. Remember, discipleship is the process a disciple goes through to become like his master. Paul talks about that very same process in Romans 8.29 when he says that God has predestined every one of us in Christ to be conformed to the image of his Son. 
we're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We as disciples are being molded to be like our master in character and conduct. So being a disciple is just being a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple. It's not some really, really committed spiritual elite that get to be disciples. No, they're the leaders. Not everybody gets to be a leader. There's a few special special people that God has gifted in such a way so they can be the leaders, the pastor, teachers, the apostles, the prophets, the, the evangelists. They're the leaders that perfect the saints, the saints that do the work of the ministry. Us, just the normal folk, we're the disciples. We participate in discipleship. We're not some spiritual elite. It's just us. So discipleship, the normal Christian Christian life, everything we do as individuals, everything we do as a church, that's, that's discipleship. Our daily devotions, you know, what we call our time alone with God or our quiet time or whatever. We read the Bible, we pray. That's discipleship. Why? Because that's how we follow Jesus Christ to be more like him. We learn of him through Scripture so that we can apply what we're learning and be like him. And if we are being like him, we're Christians. Well, we're disciples following a master, trying to learn to be more like him. That's discipleship. So even the Sunday sermon, Sunday sermon, when your pastor gets up and he gets in the pulpit and he preaches the sermon to you every Sunday, you know what he's doing? He's discipling you. That's discipleship. Because that helps you to know Jesus Christ a little more, and he is exhorting you to apply that knowledge, change your character, do something different, stop doing what's wrong, start doing what's right. There's got to be an application, a practical application to his sermon. Well, what he's doing is trying to exhort you to be more like Christ in some area, area of your life, your thought life, your your personal life, your marriage, your your job. So all of this are, are... Christian lives, our marriages, how we raise our kids, if you're a kid, how you respond to your parents, our jobs, how we do our jobs, what kind of jobs we get, all of that, folks, all of that is discipleship. Because we need to be like Christ in character and conduct in our marriage, in our families, in our jobs. It's just this discipleship. Everything we could ever do in evangelism and edification, everything that we could ever do to be saved or lead someone else to salvation, everything that we could ever do to grow in Jesus Christ to be more like him or to help someone else grow in Jesus Christ and be more like him, everything is discipleship. So discipleship is far more than just another activity in the church. We're not talking about just being at the church when the doors open. We're not talking about more and more and more activities. No, it's not just some new members class or some academic program that you get a certificate afterwards that says, hey, I finished discipleship. Take your picture and put it out in the lobby. No. Discipleship is the normal Christian life because it refers to the process of being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, in both character and conduct. And we finish that process when? Well, when Jesus Christ comes back for us and gives us our glorified bodies. And until then, discipleship is our normal life. Discipleship is the life of being a Christian and trying to help other people be Christians. 
It's the life of a disciple following his Lord. So in this podcast, we want to take that knowledge of what a disciple is, and we want to ask ourselves one question. Okay, so in a general sense, what does a disciple look like? Obviously, a disciple is someone who is following Jesus Christ. He is an apprentice who follows a master, who imitates a master, who sees what his master does to do the same thing. Okay, A disciple is someone who looks more and more like Christ as time goes on, because that's God's plan for every one of us. That's Romans 8.29, to be conformed to the image of his Son. A disciple is someone who becomes like his master. We follow Christ as his disciples. We become more and more like Christ. Christians, and Christian is a disciple. A disciple is a Christian. The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. It all begins with evangelism to be saved, repentance, faith, and regeneration, and we become Christians. We become followers of Jesus Christ. We no longer follow sin and self because we repented. We are following Christ because we placed our faith and trust in Him. And when we repented and placed our faith and trust in Him, God regenerated us. We were born again by the Spirit of God. And so from that point on, this process of discipleship, this life of a Christian, it all continues with edification. We grow in holiness. We grow in godliness, being like God. Godliness is God-likeness. God wants us to be like him. That was his original plan in the garden, Adam. Adam was made in the image and likeness of God. He messed it up when he sinned, and now Jesus Christ came back to make it right. And so God saved us, he regenerated us, and he placed us in this narrow path to grow in holiness. Be ye holy as I am holy, said Jehovah God to the Israelites. And now today tells us the same thing. That we ought to grow in godliness, we should grow in Christ-likeness, we should become more and more like Jesus Christ as time goes on. That's what Christians are, are all about. That's what Christianity is all about. That's what being a disciple is. So what does that look like? Practically, well, Jesus pointed out three general qualities that would distinguish his disciples. A disciple, a Christian, a person who is following Jesus Christ will look like this. Now, what we're going to do, we're going to go back to the Gospel of John to see these qualities of a disciple. We are not going to be analyzing the model or pattern of discipleship that we see in Jesus' earthly ministry. Remember, This model or pattern of discipleship was under construction as the Lord was changing and transforming this known concept of discipleship. He molded it into what he wanted and what we see later, principally in the book of Acts. What we are going to do is look very specifically at what the Lord said his disciples would look like. This is his statement and declaration of what his form of discipleship will produce. He's talking about his finished product and what it would be like. Three qualities of a disciple, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. First quality, John chapter 8, verse 31. A disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ will continue in Jesus' word. He will abide in in the word of the Lord. John 8.31 says, Then Jesus, then said Jesus to the Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Okay, there will be a consistency 
in the walk of a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be a consistency in the lifestyle of a Christian in how he lives and conducts himself. A disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ will not set his hand to the plow and then turn back to the world. He will abide in Christ by continuing in his word. A true disciple, a Christian, is one who abides in Christ. He hears the words of Christ, the Scripture, the Bible. He submits himself to the words of Christ, the Bible, and he obeys the words of Christ. That's how we abide in the Word. That's how we continue in the Word. This is what Jesus said about the the branches. He's the vine, we're the branches. In John chapter 15, verses 4 to 9, the Bible says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except that it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and, and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Verse 7 says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. So one of the, the first qualities we see that Jesus points out in his disciples is that a disciple indeed Somebody that's not just some believer, somebody that's not just kind of testing this thing out. No, he says, my disciples will continue in my word. Now, obviously, we grow in holiness. You know what that means? That means we're going to fail. We will fail to abide in Christ's word. There's going to be days we don't feel like reading the Bible. There's going to be days we're just bent out of shape and we don't do it. There's going to be days where we fall into sin. But there's always an element of consistency. Why? Well, because we've repented and placed our faith and trust in Christ, and even more so, we've been regenerated. The Spirit of God dwells in us. And so there's over time, maybe over a year, maybe over five or ten years, There will be a consistency continuing and abiding in a true disciple. A true disciple will get up one more time than he falls down. You know, I I often hear people say, well, you know, so-and-so was following Christ, and boy, now he's out in the world again. Or, you know, she was following Christ, and she was plugged into the church, and boy, now she's out in the world again. And what we do is we take some little snapshot that we see of the life of somebody who names the name of Christ, and we judge them by that snapshot. When, folks, what we need to be looking at is consistency from the time a person is saved that converts to Christ to the time they're they're dead or raptured off this church. What we look for is consistency of growth in that time. You say, well, that's a lot of years. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I could ever even judge somebody according to that time frame. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't. 
Because, you know, if you look at Moses and you think about Moses and how Moses started out, he started out as a murderer. He thought he was going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread and peanut butter. And so he's going to be the great savior of Israel down in Egypt. And he kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand. And when he's found out, what does he do? He, he runs off and hides um, out in the desert and becomes a shepherd, gets married and has a bunch of kids. And when God finally shows up in Exodus chapter 3 and says, Hey, Moses, let's get back to Egypt. we got to work to do. Moses said, Thanks, I, I'd really rather not. So Moses had 40 years in Egypt thinking he was somebody. Then he runs off to the desert. Folks, he spent 40 years in the desert learning that he was a nobody. And so when God calls him to the last 40 years of his, his life to go get Israel out of Egypt and give them the law and the covenant, Moses says, yeah, no, I'd rather not. But that's when God used him. Eighty years had passed. And then God puts him into the ministry. You see, that's what we're, we need to look at. Consistency over time. I think of John Mark. You think of the story of John Mark when Paul went out on his first missionary journey. Uh, John Mark went with him, and when the when the going got tough, John Mark took off and went back home. And yet, at the end of Paul's ministry, you see in Second Timothy chapter four that Paul says, "Bring Mark with you because he's profitable for me in the ministry." You see, if you just took a snapshot of the life of John Mark back in the first missionary journey, you'd, you'd count him as Demas, Demas who went back to the world, 2 Timothy chapter 4. You say, oh, he's just a Demas. He's not even really saved. He's worldly. He's carnal. He's not a follower of Jesus Christ. And yet over time, what do you see in the life of John Mark? John Mark was a born-again believer. He was a Christian. He was a disciple. He was a follower of Jesus Christ. He made some mistakes along the way. But at the end... He was profitable to the Apostle Paul in the ministry. So stop judging other people by the snapshot you see of their life. And stop beating yourself up because you fall down. Just get back up. That's all it is. Success in the life of a Christian is getting up one more time than you fall down. That's how we grow in holiness. But those who refuse to abide in Christ and in his word are those who are giving indications that they may, might not really be his disciples. They might not be saved because Jesus Christ said that his disciples would abide. Abide in him, abide in his word, his words would abide in them. And so what we're talking about here is the believer who goes to church on Christmas and Easter, or maybe once in a while on a Sunday, has no interest whatsoever in reading the Bible or learning the Bible, has no interest in prayer, has no interest in evangelism or growing in Christ or helping. No, it's just maybe church is just something to do to, to placate his conscience, or maybe it's a great place to network for work, or maybe it's just some sort of cultural societal pressure that, yeah, it's Sunday, I ought to go to church because I live in the Bible Belt. That's not a disciple. That's not somebody who is abiding in the Word. That's not somebody who has the Word of God abiding in him. Folks, if nothing else, if you have been so messed up in your Christian life, that the only thing you do is read your Bible in the morning and pray. 
You know what? That is abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in you. You need to keep doing that. If you have been through the trial and you have had such a a hard time with things that that's all you can do, then do that. Do that until God puts you back on your feet. Do that until God motivates you again. Do that like Moses on the backside of a desert. Folks, it might be 40 years. Do that. Abide. Abide in Christ. Allow his word to abide in you. First quality of a disciple, he continues in the word of God. There's consistency in the Bible in actively making an intentional effort to learn the Bible and do what it tells us. Second quality. The second quality of a disciple, John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus' disciples will exhibit love for one another. The Bible says, John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this, all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. The same love Jesus showed to his disciples, his disciples will in turn show to others. Why? Because his disciples are following him. They are his apprentices. They want to be like him in character and conduct. So his disciples will try their best to show the same love that Jesus Christ showed to them. And Jesus' love, come on, think about this, seriously. We're not talking about some squishy, romantic, huggy kind of love that we meet over muffins and coffee. No. The love of the Lord Jesus Christ was and is a love that seeks the best for all. It sought the, sought the glory of God. It sought the sinner's welfare. It sought to meet man's greatest needs. What, it, what are man's greatest needs? Think about that. Jesus loved the sinner, did he not? How did he love the sinner? Was it all about hugs and, and sending them little Hallmark cards and, and all the little nicey-nicey things to make him feel good? No. Jesus loved the sinner by seeking out that sinner and calling that sinner to repentance and faith. He lived and died to save us. And think about Jesus' love for his disciples, for those who were following him. Was his some sort of effeminate, soft, squishy little love? No. Jesus loved his disciples by helping them grow into what God wanted them to be. Jesus' disciples will love one another in the same way. And I'm not saying that, that we need to be rough around the edges. Some of us are, but it's, that's not the point. The point is, what is the biblical love that Jesus Christ showed his disciples? That is the type of love his disciples will show one another. We will love lost sinners by evangelizing them, seeking them out to lead them to salvation. We're not out there to barbecue with them and to to give them bottles of water during a a 5K run. All of that's good and, and, and fine. But at the end of the day, what does the lost sinner need? He needs the gospel. We need to sow 
the seed of the gospel through the preaching of the gospel to the lost, communicating verbally the message of the Lord Jesus Christ to the lost. That's the greatest need. That's how we love people. We get the gospel to them. And then we love saved sinners. We love God's people. How? By edifying them teaching them, or helping them grow in Christ. When we show up to church, we have a word of encouragement and edification, not a word to tear them down. It's not some huggy, squishy little love. No, it's a love that seeks God's glory and sinful man's welfare, meeting man's greatest needs in salvation and sanctification so the sinner can repent, believe on Jesus Christ, and become all that God wants him to be so that he glorifies God and enjoys him forever. Those who do not love as Christ loved are giving indications that they might not be his disciples, that they might not be followers of Jesus Christ, that they might not be Christians. We need to define biblically what is the love of Christ so that we might follow him and be like him. Jesus said we'd know who his disciples are by their love. Well, the third quality of a disciple, we see it in John 15, 8. Jesus' disciples will bear fruit. Okay, there's going to be fruit in Christ-like character. And I've got four things. Character, conduct, conversation, and converts. Okay? Character. Think about this. If we're born again, regenerated by the Spirit of God, God wants us to conform us to the image of Christ. He wants to make us more and more like Christ. There's going to be more and more Christ-like character in us. This is brought out in the fruit of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit is, and we've got a list of nine things, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. There will be fruit in Christ-like character, but I want to tell you Folks, there is more to Christ-like character than a list of nine aspects. How many times have you and I, have we, focused in on this list of the fruit of the Spirit? There's nine words, nine character qualities. Is that all that goes into being like Christ? Is that it? Christ, your Creator, Christ the God-Man, Christ Emmanuel, God in the flesh. You think you can describe His character with nine words? I don't think so. So, Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is a nice place to start. But folks, you have to take the mind of Christ into consideration. It's Genesis to Revelation if you want to understand Christ-like character. Because Christ is God, and God is the same God in the Old Testament as He is in the New Testament. The God that was angry and is angry with the wicked and that hates all those who would do iniquity is the same God who manifested Himself through the virgin birth in Jesus Christ. Learn of Christ. There will be fruit in Christ-like character. Yes, Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is a wonderful place to start. Yes, there will be more love in a saved person than in a lost person. There will be more joy, more peace, more long-suffering, more gentleness. But if this is your checklist, 
to be the salvation police and say, oh, I don't see enough love in him. He must not be saved. Oh, he's never joyful. He must not be saved. She never has peace. She must not be saved. Long-suffering, he doesn't have that. He must not be saved. He's not gentle. He's mean. He must not be saved. Seriously? Seriously. Take a look at, at what someone was like before they were saved. And take a look at them now. And even that little snapshot, folks, is not going to be enough because I tell you what, take a look at someone before they're saved and after God has conformed them to the image of Christ at the rapture. Then you'll see the fruit of the Spirit. That's why the Bible says against such there is no law, because God has predetermined the destination. He will conform us to the image of Christ. While we're here on this earth, we struggle, we fail, we still have the character problems we had before we were saved, we still have the personality, it's not some magic pixie dust that God sprinkles on our heads and we're all these little cookie-cutter Christians, all nice and all gentle and all happy. It doesn't work that way. But there will be Christ-like character in the fruit born by a follower of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we follow him. We want to be like him. I want to be like Christ in character. I want to be like Christ in conduct. I want to be like him. And, and God, through the regeneration by the Holy Spirit, lives in me and will bear the fruit because he will conform me to the image of Christ. Right now, in this life, it's little by little, right? Isn't that the testimony of your life? Aren't you sick and tired of falling into the same sins all the time? Aren't you sick and tired of dealing with the same weaknesses in your flesh all the time? Aren't you sick and tired of the same struggles all the time? I know. Me too. But take heart. God is conforming us to the image of Christ. We need to abide in him, abide in his word. We need to love the lost and love the saved, just like Jesus did and we need to focus on Jesus Christ so we can grow in him. Okay, so there's fruit in Christ-like character. There will also then be fruit in Christ-like conduct. That's 1 John 2.6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. We ought to have some sort of Christ-like conduct. Why? Well, in, in the first place, in the first place, we repented of our sins, right? There's fruit of repentance in the life of a true disciple. That's what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist, when he talks about fruits, meet for repentance in Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. When he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He says, bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. Well, that's what God wants. Fruits meet for repentance. That's what Paul repeats in 2 Timothy 2.19. Paul says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. There's going to be fruit from repentance. We turn from sin, we're going to depart from iniquity, okay? There will be Christ-like conduct in turning from sin. And we turn from sin to right living. So there's going to be fruit of righteousness. 
fruit of righteousness. The Bible says in Philippians 1, 9-11, This I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in the knowledge and in judgment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, Paul says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. It's walking in the light as he is in the light. 1 John 1, 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. We walk in obedience, righteous living. We turn from sin to Christ, from self to God. So there's going to be fruits of good works. There's going to be submission and obedience to God and his word, fruits of good works. We're still talking about Christ-like conduct, okay? There's going to be Christ-like character. There's going to be Christ-like conduct. In Christ-like conduct, there's repentance, a turning from sin. There's righteousness and right living because we've turned to Jesus Christ. And there's going to be some good works, submission and obedience to God's word. Colossians 1.10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is this is what this, I mean, we, we talk about, you know, people who say, I love God. I love the Lord Jesus Christ, but they don't do what he says. You know, I love God, but I'm going to continue to fornicate. Well, I love God, but I'm not going to go to church. Well, I love God, but, you know, I don't want to share the gospel. I love God, I'm not going to read the Bible. Well, you don't love the God of the Bible. Because Jesus said in John 14, If you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 15. In that same chapter, John 14, 21, he says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and it will manifest myself to him. Then he repeats it again in verses 23 and 24. Jesus said, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me and he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. There's going to be some good works of submission and obedience to the Bible in the life of a disciple. Okay, there's going to be fruit, fruit of Christ-like character, fruit of Christ-like conduct. The conduct has to do with our repentance and turning from sin. We turn to righteousness and right living, which means we learn the Bible and do what it tells us. Good works. So Christ-like conduct. So Christ-like character, Christ-like conduct, and there's also going to be fruit in Christ-like conversation. Conversation. You know, that stuff that kind of comes out of your mouth. Don't you ever get tired of people who go to church, outside of church, they talk just like people in the world. How can you say you're any different than the people in the world if you don't change the one simple thing that you can change? Your mouth. Your tongue. Jesus Christ said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And if every other word out of your mouth is the F-bomb and filthy this and filthy that, what's in your heart? There's going to be a Christ-like conversation. There will be fruit of our lips giving praise and thanks to God, Hebrews 13, 15. 
There's going to be fruit in the preaching of the gospel to the lost. Why? Because that's what God wants. I always like Acts chapter 4, verse 31, where it talks about the believers when they were filled with the Holy Ghost. You think, oh, what happens? You know, when I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, what happens? Oh, man, I just feel great. What happens when I'm filled with the Holy Ghost? Ooh, 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 I talk in tongues. Maybe I flop around on the ground like a fish and bark like a dog. What happens when I'm filled with the Holy Ghost? No. Bible says when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they spake the Word of God with boldness. That's why Christians are known. The distinguishing characteristic of a Christian is the preaching of the gospel. There's going to be Christ-like conversation. Our words will be different than those words that come out of the mouth of lost people. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And if your mouth is a filthy cesspool, what's in your heart? So, there's also going to be fruit of speaking truth to the saved, to your brothers and sisters in Christ for their edification, not to tear them down. There's going to be speaking truth for their edification. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ. Or 1 Corinthians 14.26, we've said it before. How is it that, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm and hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation? Paul says, look, let all things, all things, be done unto edifying. There's going to be fruit in Christ-like conversation. The words that proceed out of our mouth should be different than the mess we hear coming out of the mouth of those people in the world. There's also going to be fruit in Christ-like converts. Okay, We've got Christ-like, what do we got? Christ-like character, Christ-like conduct, Christ-like conversation, our words, and then there's going to be Christ-like converts. John 15, 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. So, Jesus Christ has ordained that we go and bring forth fruit. Bearing fruit refers to the work of evangelism. And then he says, and that your fruit should remain, which refers to the work of edification. So we evangelize and we edify. We lead people to salvation, and we help them grow in sanctification and holiness. In the true disciple, Christ will bear fruit because the true disciple is going to be preaching the gospel. He's going to be living right with a holy life, and he is going to be working at edifying other believers. Now look, I know. Each and every one of us would love to see more converts in our life. We, we talk about Jesus Christ to friends and family members, people at work, or even people on the street, and those who go out street preaching. You know how many times do you go out there and you preach and you preach and you preach, and you want to see people come to Christ, and they hate you for it. We want to see more converts. You know, it's like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, you know, I uh, sowed the seed of Paulus water, but God gave the increase. We want to see Christ-like converts. Yes, it's not up to us 
to bear that fruit. God gives the increase. What we want to see here in this point, that there will be Christ-like converts, is that the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is consistent in evangelizing the lost and edifying the saved. And when we do that, sooner or later, God will give the increase. The power is in the seed, not in the sower. That's why we preach the word to the lost. We share that word, preaching and teaching, however we can do it with the saved, for their encouragement and their growth and their edification. When we do that, when we are dedicated to evangelizing the lost and edifying the saved, however we can do that according to how God made us, God's going to bear some fruit. There's going to be converts. The problem is not so much in the lack of converts. The problem is the lack of work in the field, the lack of evangelism, and the lack of edification. So if we focus on what God expects us to do, abiding in Christ, His Word abiding in us, evangelizing the lost, um, edifying the saved, which means loving the lost enough to give them the gospel, loving the saved enough to do everything for their edification, there's going to be converts. There's going to be fruit. So what does a disciple look like? We're going to wrap this up. What does a disciple look like? Well, a disciple looks like a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. So just like Matthew chapter 7, if you come up to a tree and you see it has apples on it, what kind of tree is that? Jesus said we can see indications of a true conversion, a true disciple in a person's character, in their conduct, in their conversation, and in their converts. Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 to 23. It's a, it's a longer passage. Bear with me, follow with me. Think about this. Jesus said, You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils? and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, obviously, in Matthew chapter 7, this has a very, very specific context. Okay, We're not going to delve into this passage and all of its finer details. All I want you to see is the general principle of you can understand what a tree is by the fruit it bears. Okay? Come up on an apple tree, it's going to have apples. Pear tree, it's going to have pears, okay? And when we talk to other people, if they say they are Christians, and yet their character, their conduct, their conversation, and the converts in their life don't really match up with what they say, we are not God to say, oh, that person's not saved. But we should love that person enough 
to be concerned by the fruit or lack thereof that we see in their lives. To be concerned. If we think they're not saved, to evangelize them. To explain to them the biblical gospel. To explain to them what the Bible says about salvation and conversion and regeneration. Or if it's, if it's what we would maybe call a carnal Christian or a backslidden Christian. To seek to edify them that they might follow Christ more intentionally. So let's not put ourselves in the shoes of the Holy Spirit and think that we can be the salvation police and point out here and point out there and say, oh, well, he's this way, he's that way, he's not saved, that was a false conversion. That's not for us to say, but I will say this. Jesus Christ said that there will be fruit in the lives of his disciples, and there has to be. Because we've repented of sin and we've turned to Jesus Christ and we've been born again. It's not magic pixie dust that all of a sudden, poof, we're all just cookie cutter the same. No, we all struggle with sin and we all struggle with our carnality. We all struggle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. But there's going to be something. There's going to be changes in character. There will be changes in conduct. We've repented and placed our faith and trust in Christ. We're learning the Bible to do what it says. So our conversation is going to be different because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, and our heart is being filled with the Scripture. And if we're out evangelizing and we're trying to edify the saved, there's going to be converts. So all I am saying is, just take stock, take a look. Jesus Christ said that that fruit would be an indication of a true disciple. So let's finish this up. Let's just wrap this up. What is a disciple? A disciple is a Christian. A disciple is a born-again believer who is growing in Christ and in spiritual maturity. We're not talking about some super spiritual elite or some key program in the church. We're talking about us, you and me, our churches, everybody. Those who, of us who are following Jesus Christ, we're disciples. Those of us who are following Jesus Christ, we're Christians. Now, If we desire to fulfill our purpose, our purpose in life, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, we have to finish the work that He gave us to do. That's our mission. Our life's mission, the work He gave us to do, is being and making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we're here. That's why we're left on the earth. That's that's the reason for our existence to be and make disciples, to be and make Christians, to be and make followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of that begins with regeneration. So we ought to be about the business of calling lost sinners to repentance and faith in Christ through biblical, intentional evangelism. But it doesn't stop there because God wants to conform all of his disciples to the image of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that means we need to be about the business also of edifying the saints, helping them grow in Jesus Christ. So here's the evaluation that we pulled out of the the words of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John. Three different characteristics or or qualities that we could see in a disciple, in a Christian. What's he going to look like? What should we look like? A disciple is one who continues in Christ's word. He abides in Christ's word. There will be consistency in his walk and his lifestyle. Do we fall? Yes. Do we have seasons 
where we're out on the backside of the desert like Moses? Yes. But there's going to be a consistency. At the end of the day, the Christian gets up one more time than he falls down. And a disciple in second place will have Christ-like love toward others, especially toward other believers. It's a love that seeks to meet their greatest needs. A disciple will bear Christ-like fruit in character and conduct, in conversation and converts. So, a disciple is a Christian. We get that. That's what we see in the book of Acts. The terms are fairly synonymous. A disciple is a Christian. A Christian is a disciple. So, discipleship is just a normal Christian life. Since a disciple is a Christian, then the term discipleship simply describes the life a Christian lives. Discipleship is the lifelong process a disciple goes through to grow in spiritual maturity and become more like Christ. Discipleship is a term that refers to the normal Christian life, because anything else is not the norm God has established for every disciple, for every Christian. So, in the next podcast, should the Lord permit, I'd like to talk about discipleship. What does the Bible say about this lifelong process of spiritual growth? I hope you'll join me. Thanks for spending your time listening to my podcast, Theology 101. Simple is better, and it's just not that difficult to learn the Bible so we can do what it tells us. You can find the rest of my studies in English out on my website, theology101.net. And if you do Spanish, tengo más de 15 años de estudios bíblicos disponibles en mi sitio web, teología101.net. If you'd like to contact me, there's a contact page on my website. You're also more than welcome to visit me any Sunday that you wish. My church information is also out on my website. Remember what Nicholas von Zinzendorf always said, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Learn the Bible, do what it tells you, and come back for more Theology 101.